Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, the 30th day of October, and the year 2020, the day before Halloween, the penultimate day of October in this plague year. The authorities tell us that Halloween has been canceled this year because of the virus. We wouldn't want any kids out having fun, possibly being exposed to the virus now would be right now for my children. I would fear the visible predators of the human variety more than the invisible ones of the virus variety. The Castle family is doing all right, though. As we enter the Thanksgiving month, we're certainly thankful that our family's healthy and virus-free. As far as we know, the family daughter still celebrating because her team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, won the World Series next Tuesday. The third day of November is Election Day when the people will select a president to serve for at least the next four years, hopefully. Sometimes people ask me if I'm a supporter of Donald Trump considering some of the things I've said about him during his first term. In the words of my old friend Doug Casey, choosing a Republican instead of a Democrat is like choosing a heart attack over terminal cancer. My opinion of Donald Trump has always been driven by what he represents rather than who he is. Now, the same is true for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. To express more eloquently what I mean by what he represents, I defer to economist and commentator Dr. Paul Craig Roberts once again. Quote, the November presidential election is not about a choice between the Republican and the Democrat, Trump or Biden. It is a about a choice between Trump and the establishment. You are voting for or against the establishment. If you vote against Trump, you're voting for your continued dispossession of your personal freedom, your independence, your income and wealth, if any, your integrity, the First and Second Amendments, any hope for your future, the future of your country. It's as simple as that, end quote. Well, yes, Dr. Roberts, it's as simple as that. It's difficult struggle because the anti-establishment forces must contend with the Ministry of Propaganda as well as with their opponents in the election, the media. Acting as a propaganda ministry of the Democrat Party has tried to turn the hunter and Joe Biden laptop scandal into a Russian disinformation operation. Although, as the Washington Post admits, they know it isn't so. They all work together to defeat Trump at all costs because they know what he represents. And so they must act as propaganda ministry to ensure continued elite control over the explanations of everything. Let me add one more thought or reason as an explanation of what is at stake this time. Do you believe in free speech? Do you? Well, the Democrat Party doesn't. Proof of this rather obvious fact can be found and looking at the New York Post story about the Biden laptop scandal, if you can find it, that is, hidden from us by Twitter and Facebook with the other members of the oh-so-progressive but very illiberal press, including NPR, CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, they simply refuse to report it. These organizations used to be the vehicles that champion free speech, but now they act only as agents of the Democrat Party. The preceding statements constitute my explanation of why this election is the most important ever. I know that is said every election cycle, but this time it just might be true. Now, I want to give you 
the reason why this election might not matter at all, why those issues should have been front and center in the debates, and they were not even mentioned or considered the election, this election, might just be irrelevant because neither of the candidates is likely to solve or address the most important problems that confront us, confront the United States. During the debates, we saw as much of the personalities of the candidates as we were permitted to see by the moderators. I personally didn't see much from either candidate to indicate he's worthy of holding the nation's top office, I saw. No trace of dignity, modesty, or even real intelligence as evidenced by the lack of understanding of this problem. They both seemed oblivious of the danger that lies ahead. Oh, we learned something of how they view climate change, something about their COVID policy, most importantly, how they would address white privilege, but nothing about how we escape from our inescapable debt dilemma, that which confronts this country. I am a bankruptcy and personal injury lawyer by profession, folks, and as a result, I have represented literally tens of thousands of clients in bankruptcy court over the last four decades. I therefore submit to you, I am somewhat qualified to recognize a coming bankruptcy catastrophe when I see it. The federal government now owes over $27 trillion that it can't pay as of the end of the fiscal year, which was September 30th. The country, including the private sector, which is where I work, owes $80 trillion that it can't pay, $80 trillion. What is the problem with that when we now know that money represents nothing but blips on a computer screen, a screen controlled by the Federal Reserve? The problem is that the government has promised 76 million baby boomers who are the people who fought the wars, paid the taxes over the course of their lives, that it will pay them some $210 trillion in entitlements which it does not have entitlements for pension, for medical coverage, especially Social Security. Approximately 10,000 more people per day are added to the total for our future dilemma. How do both parties propose to handle this problem? Not by honestly telling the American people that they and the politicians will have to just man up and pay these benefits. You'll have to let us reduce spending, stop spending above our means as you as will you, the American people, you will have to save and store for the future because we made this mess. Now we must deal with it. That is the honest way, folks, the honest answer. But honesty in Washington, D.C. are rarely compatible. No, it seems to be an impossible task to face the truth for our candidates. It's far easier to serve as a simple distraction. Talk only of white supremacy, climate change. Both are committed to papering over the unpayable debts with printed money. If you study economic and political history over the last 2,500 years, you will learn that the printing press always, always leads to bankruptcy, to poverty, depression, inflation, social and political chaos. Each cycle of nations becomes a little more violent because of advancing technology of violence as well as the rising population from violence-prone third-world countries. The candidates, politicians in general, and the economists just keep silent because they know the truth doesn't win elections. When you are approaching Niagara Falls in a rowboat, the roar from the falls is increasing. 
Do you row over to the shore and get out of the boat? No, it's easier to just cover your ears and keep going. The problem is that the party will not go on forever because eventually you reach the falls. Now what do you do? We're told that trillions of dollars in newly created money poured into the economy as a stimulus or a way to stimulate economic growth. Money created out of thin air will stimulate growth at least for a while. For a short while, economists tell us that the higher the debt-to-GDP ratio, the less effect the created money will have until finally the effect becomes negative rather than stimulating. We can continue lying to ourselves and fudging the numbers to make them sound better. For example, the final numbers from the Treasury Department for the fiscal year end, September 30th, announced an official deficit of $3.1 trillion. That is more than triple last year's numbers of $984 billion, double the previous record number of $1.4 trillion in, 19, in 2009. However, the debt rose by $4.1 trillion, not $3.1, so something's wrong there, folks. A trillion dollars unaccounted for, I suspect the deficit was a little higher than announced. I know these economic statistics become meaningless after a while. Our eyes cloud over. We can't deal with the numbers. The point I'm trying to make is simple, though. The government owes far more than it can ever repay. It will not be able to meet its long-term obligations to its people without creating an inflation-fueled economic catastrophe. The fact that said catastrophe appears unavoidable means that the election is not as relevant as I first asserted that it might be. What does all of this mean for us right now? I must admit I do not know, so I examine history past examples of which may explain our dilemma. Perhaps life in a debt-fueled multicultural society is not compatible with world empire. Perhaps it's been experienced before, whether it is or is not. Empires always collapse, as Augustine told us back in the early 400s. He lived near the end of the Roman Empire's greatest age in a time of chaos and collapse, Rome saw its empire decline and collapse over a period of some 400 years. From the year 200 A.D., 200 years after the death of Christ, when it had a population of about 1 million people, to the two centuries after 400 A.D., when the population fell to roughly 20,000 people due to violence, war, famine, disease, most of all, people fleeing all those things, the ruling elite, participate and contribute to the collapse and the chaos because they try to placate the people by continuing the very things that make civilizations collapse and die. Politicians are quite a bit different from any normal human being, however. The politician can sometimes come from the ruling elite, but more likely in this country, he spends his life trying to enter and be part of their ruling elite. He does that in part by ingratiating himself with the people necessary for him to gain and hold power. If he he is akin to a salesman who sees people from time to time, always knows them, always greets them warmly, but inside he cares for nothing, nothing more than just the sale. The salesman cares for nothing except that you buy his product. He looks at you. He doesn't see you. Just as the politician looks through you until election time, 
when you are expected to reward him with your vote so he can stay in power for another term. The salesman and the politician are thrilled to have your sale or your vote, but they don't respect you. In fact, they may regard you as a chump, as Joe Biden said about Trump supporters. The politician is intoxicated by the power he holds, but also frightened at how easily it can be taken from him. From time to time, he must, therefore, appear among his inferiors and pretend to be their equals. People in their desperation and gullibility accept him, even put a sign with his name on it in their yard. He goes from place to place speaking to all these dumb people, his inferiors. He's tormented by the fact that he must do it all over again at dinner. Such is his lust, his unquenchable desire for power, that he knows he must pay any price to have it. Do the people know that they're being used as political pawns? Most do not. He quickly learns he who pulls the most wool over the most eyes will win the election and stay in power. He then gets to be a member of the elite and participate in fouling up the world for a few more years. The power is so precious, so glorious. He is almost godlike, at least in his own mind. Finally, folks, if you vote next Tuesday, you're being used as a political pawn or a chump by both politicians. You may think you're voting for what you want, but in fact, it's only what he wants. Keeping that in mind, I would not vote for the elite if I were you. I encourage you not to vote for your own dispossession or for the suppression of free speech. At least that's the way I see it. Till next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.